This is If I Go Missing, a podcast where we tell the stories of those who have gone missing so that they aren't forgotten. And maybe, just maybe, we can help bring them the justice they deserve. I am your host, Megan. And I'm your co-host, Lynn. Are you ready to dive into another story? Always. Let's do it. Let's go. Hi, everyone. We're doing something special again this week, much like we did with the Madeline McCann episode a few weeks ago. This show was chosen to air on this specific date for the reason that we are three days shy of the 15-year mark of Natalie Holloway's disappearance. Although I don't have anything new to add to her case, this show is more so done as a tribute to her and the retelling of her story and her memory in the hopes that she will never be forgotten and maybe, just maybe, one day, we can get the justice that she deserves. Natalie Holloway. Natalie Holloway. Natalie Holloway went missing on a graduation trip in Aruba. May 30th, 2005. It was the last day of Alabama teenager Natalie Holloway's graduation trip to Aruba. For the first few days of her trip, Natalie spent her time with friends at the beach and hotel pool. And since the legal drinking age in Aruba is 18, hanging out in the casinos having drinks at night. But on Sunday, May 29th, 2005, things took a mysterious turn. That night, surveillance cameras at the Holiday Inn Casino captured Natalie seated at a blackjack table. Two seats away was Joran Vandersloot, a local 17-year-old high school soccer player. Witnesses say Natalie introduced herself to Vandersloot and invited him to meet her and her friends at a bar and restaurant called Carlos and Charlie's. After leaving the casino to go to dinner, Vandersloot, along with his two friends, brothers Deepak and Satish Kalpo, arrived at the bar about 12.15 a.m. Friends say that Natalie and Vandersloot danced, talked, and did some shots of alcohol. When the bar closed at 1 a.m., Natalie was seen getting into Deepak Kalpo's car, along with Vandersloot and Satish Kalpo. She was never seen again. Upon learning of her daughter's disappearance, Beth Holloway immediately flew from her home in Alabama to Aruba. There, she, as well as others from Alabama, Natalie's father, local police, and Aruban locals spent days in massive searches for the young woman. Roughly 24 hours after her teenage daughter Natalie Holloway vanished, Beth Holloway stood face-to-face on a foreign island with the man she believes holds all the answers to what happened to her daughter, Joran Vandersloot. A few hours after Beth Holloway arrived on the island, Aruban police officials accompanied her and other Alabama parents on a visit to the Vandersloot home. The gray Honda Natalie was last seen getting into was parked outside the home. And there, Joran Vandersloot told Beth Holloway the night her daughter went missing that he had fooled around with her. He then returned her to her hotel, a Holiday Inn, and it was the first of many stories he would tell and the first to prove a lie. Surveillance footage from the hotel showed no evidence that Natalie had ever returned to the hotel that night. More than a week after Natalie Holloway's disappearance, Vandersloot and his two friends, brothers Deepak Kalpo and Satish Kalpo, were taken into police custody. Vandersloot and the Kalpos then changed their story and claimed the brothers had dropped Vandersloot and Holloway off at the beach. Joran said he left a sleeping Natalie alone at the beach as the years went on, Joran Vandersloot's story about what he says happened to Natalie Holloway continued to change. By 2006, Vandersloot was in the Netherlands for school. In February of 2006, he flew to New York for an interview with ABC News, during which he said he left Natalie Holloway on the beach the night she disappeared and went home. 
Quote, the last time I saw her, she was sitting on the sand by the ocean. End quote. This is what he told to ABC News at the time. He denied that he had harmed or killed her. Then, in February 2008, Aruban officials reopened the case against Vandersloot. This came after a tape showing him describing Holloway's death filmed via hidden camera by a Dutch crime reporter was released. However, Aruban officials were unable to corroborate Vandersloot's statements. Then, in November 2008, Greta Van Susteren got an interview with Vandersloot. During this interview, he claimed he had sold Natalie Holloway into sexual slavery, but soon after, he called Van Susterson and told her that the story was all a lie. On March 29, 2010, Beth Holloway's lawyer, John Q. Kelly, says that Vandersloot contacted him by email using a pseudonym, claiming that in exchange for $250,000, $25,000 of that being up front, he would reveal the location of Natalie Holloway's remains. That's a sweetheart. You, you kill somebody and then you want to get paid to show us where you put them. It's just so frustrating that you have to pin somebody so hard mm-hmm. when they're sitting here pinning themselves. Yeah. I mean, you are, you're you putting the noose around your own darn neck and getting away with it. I think that is what has attracted people to this case for so yeah. long. The fact that his story changes every freaking time mm-hmm. they talk mm-hmm. to him. That's how you know somebody's lying because they never tell the same story. When you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. Thank you. And obviously, he was yeah. not telling the truth because he can't remember what he said. Thank you. If you and I have the same situation, and I'm saying something, and you're saying something, and four other people that have the same situation are saying the same darn thing, you a liar, fool. Mm-hmm. He's a liar. He is a liar, and that's all he's ever been. John Kelly, Beth Holloway's lawyer, told her to remember, Yoron is a gambler, and it's probably one of the most important things to know about him, because everything in life was just a gamble or a game. Knowing this, Kelly and Beth Holloway believed this might provide them with an opportunity to get the justice they sought against Vandersloot. Beth says she thought, okay, so he wants $250,000 trying to sell me her remains. As sick and cruel as that sounds, what can we do with this? So they worked with the FBI to gather evidence against Vandersloot for possible wire fraud and extortion. Kelly says the FBI went down to Aruba to set up recording devices in a hotel room where he was to meet with Vandersloot. When Kelly met with Yoron, he said that he gave Yoron $10,000 in cash and Beth Holloway wired $15,000 to Yoron Vandersloot's bank account in exchange for information Vandersloot said he had on the missing team. Kelly says Vandersloot then took him to a location away from the hotel, changed his story yet again, and now was claiming that he had picked up Natalie, but she had demanded to be put down, so he threw her against the ground, and when he did, she hit her head on a rock, and she was killed instantly by the impact. Kelly says Yoron then took him to a nearby home and claimed that his father, who had since died, had buried Natalie in the house's foundation. After that exchange, they parted ways. Kelly says Vandersloot emailed him and told him that the story was all a lie, a message to which Kelly forwarded to the FBI. But Vandersloot already had the $25,000 from Beth Holloway. Within days, he has slipped away to Peru. Now, why was the choice of Peru? Again, you do, like I said, you do have to remember what Beth Holloway's lawyer said. Yoron was a gambler. 
And after doing some research, I found out just why he went to Peru. Mm-hmm. He went to Peru, specifically to the Peruvian capital, for a poker tournament. Shocker. It is also here he meets a woman by the name of Stephanie Flores, a college student and daughter of a prominent Peruvian businessman at a Lima Casino. The two were seen entering Vandersloot's room at Hotel TAC around 5 a.m. on May 30th. Approximately four hours later, surveillance video captures Vandersloot leaving the hotel room alone and carrying his bags. After Flores' family reported her missing, she was found dead in the hotel room on June 2nd, beaten and with a broken neck. Her money and credit cards were missing, and after Peruvian officials reviewed the hotel surveillance video, Vandersloot emerged as the prime suspect in the murder investigation. Police believe he had fled in Flores' car and later abandoned it in another part of Lima before traveling south to Chile. On June 3rd, Vandersloot was arrested in Chile and deported to Peru soon after. On June 7th, the Dutchman admitted to Peruvian authorities that he had killed Flores during an argument after she used his computer without permission. Authorities suggested she might have discovered he was linked to the Holloway case. Vandersloot stated that he beat and strangled Flores and suffocated her with his shirt. The Dutchman later retracted this confession, saying he was frightened and confused when he made it. The King of Lies struck again. Five years to the day after Natalie vanished. I don't overly believe in coincidences and especially not where this human is concerned. That's polite human. I like that. That's polite. (laughs) Oh my gosh. On the day Vandersloot was arrested in South America, U.S. authorities issued a warrant for his arrest in connection with a plot to extort $250,000 from the Holloway family in exchange for revealing the location of her remains. Despite the extensive search, Holloway's body was never found. Vandersloot was arrested twice in Aruba in conjunction with her disappearance, but never charged. On January 11, 2012, Vandersloot, who has been behind bars in Peru since his 2010 arrest, pleaded guilty in a Lima courtroom to Flores' murder. Two days later, a panel of judges sentenced him to 28 years in prison and ordered him to pay $75,000 in reparation to Flores' family. One day before Vandersloot was sentenced, a judge in Birmingham, Alabama, signed an order declaring Natalie Holloway legally dead. The judge made the ruling at the request of Holloway's father so that he could settle his daughter's estate. The Flores family ended up getting the justice they deserved for their loved one, but what about the Holloways? Peru has actually agreed to extradite Joran Vandersloot to the United States, but only after he finishes serving a 28-year murder sentence. The Peruvian court system sentenced him in 2012, but he will be eligible for release in 2038 because of the time he's already spent in custody. In the United States, he's been indicted on federal charges of extortion and wire fraud. American authorities accuse him of extorting money from Holloway's mother by offering bogus information about her daughter's disappearance. It's not the justice that the Holloway family wanted, but it is something. While Natalie's body has never been found, her father Dave Holloway has never stopped searching for answers. Now, 12 years later, he's found what he believes to be the most credible lead to date, a detailed first-hand account from a man who claims to know the whereabouts of his daughter's remains. It's this claim that he hopes will finally help him get a conviction out of Joran Vandersloot. This was actually all documented through the Oxygen TV docuseries, The Disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Literally, when this show came out, I DVR'd it and dutifully watched it. It shed some light on a few things. However, Natalie's mom is actually suing Oxygen for the show. According to Beth's interview with the Huffington Post, 
Oxygen's 2017 television series about her daughter's disappearance in Aruba was a fictional farce that caused unnecessary suffering. Beth Holloway said in the lawsuit filed on February 2nd that the NBC-owned network and the Los Angeles-based production company Brian Graydon Media made, quote, knowingly false declarations about her daughter's disappearance. The six-part series entitled The Disappearance of Natalie Holloway was misleading in the airing of unconfirmed allegations and in claiming bone fragments purportedly found on Aruba could belong to her daughter. The series was not a real-time or legitimate investigation into new leads. According to the lawsuit, it was just a series that was pre-planned and its publication was outrageous. I remember that because I remember them talking about the bone fragments. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would have been concrete right there. That's DNA. Boom. We're there. If if you don't have that, then then don't report it. You know, you can't. Or make certain it is understood there is a remote possibility or we believe. Let people know that this is not some concrete thing. Well, we've got it. We've, you know, because I remember feeling that way. I remember feeling, okay, we're going to call that justice. You know, I mean, it's as painful as it would be for me, them to find my child's fragments. Mm-hmm. They found something of my child. Yeah. So, it, I don't know. I, I, I kind of understand a little of what her mom would be suing for because mm-hmm. if that were only true, I'd have a piece of something. Yeah. Well, I remember too when it first was um, aired, when we were waiting for it to come out, it stated, you know, that they were going to find Natalie. Like it made it seem right. like at right. the end of this series, we mm-hmm. would know what happened to Natalie. Yeah, it's aggravating how shows do that. Yeah. And I mean, this one, norm, like you said, normally they'll say, you know, we believe or mm-hmm. we think we found. But this one literally made it seem like to the point that when I was watching it, I was waiting for that last right. episode to finally know, yes or no, is this Natalie? Right. And right. it just really left me hanging. Yeah, it, it's sad. On the other hand, her father, who took part in the series, defends the Oxygen show following his ex-wife's $35 million lawsuit. He stands firm in that the show was not scripted and that he is proud of the work and depiction of the show, even if it is not the outcome they had all hoped for. As someone who has followed the case for a long time, as I was only about 10 years old when it took place, I mentioned earlier, I was all for this show. Like I said, I honestly thought they were going to bring in some interesting pieces of information, some real, you know, hard-hitting evidence of what had happened to Natalie. The show really centered around getting to talk to a man named John Ludwig, who had claimed to being a close friend to Joran Vandersloot, even helping him dig up Natalie's remains and then dispose of them in a more concrete manner. Ludwig even claims on video that he and Joran burned Natalie's skull in a cave in Aruba in 2010. Natalie went missing in Aruba on May 30th, 2005. When John Ludwig was asked where he took the remains, John says that Joran had initially discussed having them cremated. While it was illegal to bring in human remains to be cremated, John says that some morgues in Aruba would actually cremate pets. The idea was to crush everything to the point where it was not recognizable as her bones or skull or anything like that. All of this was, according to John, their plan in a more concrete disposal method, if you will. John explains that he and Yoron spent hours pummeling the bones and Natalie's skull was also apparently burned in the process. He says the only thing that got burned was the skull to burn the hair fibers. It was doused in gasoline in a fire pit in a cave. 
Bone fragments discovered during the new investigation by Dave Holloway and TJ Ward were then sent off to be tested for DNA. When the results came back, at least one of the bone fragments discovered is from a, quote, single individual. They are human, and they are Caucasian of European descent. Natalie was both of those things, Caucasian and of European descent. All of this was discovered and told to Oxygen and TJ Ward by veteran forensic scientist Dr. Jason Kolowoski. Dr. Kolowoski said the DNA discovered was mitochondrial, meaning it would have to come from the mother, and it takes longer to test than nuclear DNA. Beth Holloway, although she didn't take part in the segment, she did allow them to collect and submit her DNA sample as it would be that perfect match if the mitochondrial DNA that was found on the island belonged to Natalie. Out of the four individual bone fragments found, one was found to be human. However, the DNA bone samples were ruled out as belonging to Natalie after it failed to match that of her mother, Beth. The identity of the person that those bones do belong to is still unknown. That's heartbreaking. And this is another person. Yeah. Another person that we're not even testing for. Exactly. You know, like, it's just another person we're not even looking for. Right. We're not even trying to find out who those bones belong to. Right. While some of them may have been animals, which would fit in with his story. Mm-hmm. That one was human. That one belonged to somebody. Right. It's just, it's heartbreaking how many people are missing. Yeah. And how many people nobody looks for, minimal search for. It's, it, it's, it's just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the numerous dead-end leads they've run into, both of Natalie's parents are still not giving up. Beth is always doing interviews and things to keep Natalie's face in the press and media so that the world does not forget as time goes on. Natalie's father is forever searching, sometimes even boots on the ground with investigators. One thing is for sure, this family deserves true justice. Amen to that. And, you know, it just hit me, one of his million stories, that he sold her into sex slavery. It almost makes you stop and go, maybe, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is there a possibility that one could have been the truth? He needed money. He was he was a gambler. He was, I mean, you know, he had no respect whatsoever for human life, obviously. Yeah. Um, it, it does make you stop and slam on brakes for a second. I mean, it definitely does. But no matter what happened to Natalie, he needs to pay for what he did. And that's the thing. Everybody knows he did it, but yeah. it's just like we can't prove it enough yeah. to... Be able to catch him on it. The all-coveted proof. Exactly. So, so sad. So sad. Yeah, and what's so sad and difficult in this case is that literally the whole world knows mm-hmm. this dude's guilty. Yeah. But it's just that one piece of evidence mm-hmm. that we need that's missing. Thank you for listening to another episode of If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan, and I put a lot of thought and hard work into these episodes. I write, edit, and produce them all myself. And it means a lot to me that you guys take the time to listen. If you would like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is at if I go missing podcast. Then we also have our Twitter and that one is at Megan Noel pod. If you want to reach out and suggest a case, you can do that on Instagram or Twitter by sending us a DM. We also have a Facebook page called Megan Noel podcast. And we also have discussion groups for the podcast. And the name of the discussion group is If I Go Missing, a podcast.